0: episode number two, or is is it episode number two, or is it episode number 20, number 20, I'm not entirely sure how the numbering with these things goes anymore, I think the appropriate term for this would be episode number two, of season number two of the One Golden Moment Podcast, I believe I'm correct in terms of that's how we're gonna go about the numbering, uh, but this is Justice De Los Santos, as always. Um, we're currently pushing delusional hours to his boundaries. It's currently 1.28 in the morning on April 5th. Uh, yes, you heard that correctly. It is 1.28 in the morning on uh, April 5th, uh, same day as the opening day for the San Francisco Giants. Uh, I might be going to that game in, at this point, a couple hours if uh, weather forbidding. Is that the correct, I don't even, (laughs) you're gonna have to excuse me if there's some, if, for one thing, if I sound tired, because I am, I'm currently on uh, my fourth cup of coffee, well, not of the day, I guess it would be my fourth since I've been, uh, been awake, I remember on the last basketball podcast, Rory actually asked me, he's like, am I eating, am I sleeping, um, I, I, guess I, I i think i'm not entirely sure uh, it's just uh <laughs> yeah I, I definitely sound uh, delirious at this point in time um i will say that i you know i have <laughs> oh my goodness i i definitely do sound delirious this is definitely the the a podcast that it was recorded at a 130 but uh, for for those who, who are, who do sort of care about my health in the grand scheme of this thing, uh, I have been eating, I have been sleeping. Uh, it's just, you know, we do go to, or I, at least in terms of me, I do go to a pretty strenuous school. You know, I don't define myself by the school that I attend, but that's just the parameters of both being a college student and going to the school that I go to and, you know, the workload that comes with it, in addition. Uh, Actually, prior to this, the the only reason that I'm recording this so late is because I actually finished up a shift at uh, my internship. I currently intern at uh, NBC Sports Bay Area, and I kind of hate that I'm saying that because it sounds like I'm trying to brag, and for those of you who know me as a person, I hate uh, trying to brag and trying to make myself seem better than... Uh, whoever, because I I do realize that there, this is just a side tangent, let's just roll with it, Uh, I do realize that there are individuals who have achieved more at my age, who have uh, accomplished more, and I guess that in in a sense, you know, it grounds me, it it pushes me to work harder, I was actually before, um, earlier today, well, I guess earlier yesterday, I was actually listening to the uh, one shining podcast which uh, if you've listened to this podcast enough you know that me and rory specifically we take a lot of inspiration uh from titus and tate and they actually and titus and tate actually had john rothstein on on as a guest and he actually he said something i I tweeted it out uh yesterday (laughs) i'm gonna have to keep keep in check in terms of the yesterday and today but he tweeted it out yesterday and he said something akin to i'm like frank ocean I work in silence, and my work speaks volumes, and then that comes in, it sort of compounds with the thing about uh, Stephen A. Smith receiving the, the $10 million contract with ESPN, and, you know, I haven't done too much research on Stephen A. Smith, but I'm very familiar with his background in terms of, you know, he had that rant a while, not a rant, but he had that... Yeah, that segment a while ago where he was talking about the amount of clips that he accumulated and how he would work from 7 a.m. to 12 a.m. for free. And, you know, there's always the joke that, oh, when is Stephen A. Smith going to get any sleep? Like this man needs to get, in, get some sleep, especially when you have those small slip ups in the, uh, the terminology. Remember, there's one example a while ago where he, I think he said James Harden is one of the best scorers in football. And, you know. Considering what time I'm recording at, considering uh, how little sleep I've gotten uh, over the past week, uh, I can definitely see um, where those slip ups would occur. I, I completely forgot the reason that I went on that tangent, but I guess just to circle it back, um, just know that I had to, to the extent that because you know you know as college students we kind of take liberties with our health and that's just that's just the general reality of being a college student anybody that's you know been at university regardless of that's uh, at a four year at a, a state at a junior college regardless uh, there are some liberties that have to be taken in terms of health unfortunately as it sounds that's why we always hear when it comes to college recruits you know once they can finally dedicate college recruits that make the jump to the pros you know once they can make that leap from uh, college to the pros they actually have the ability to you know take care of their body 24 7 they're not really confined to the restraints of being a student athlete anymore they're just an athlete and i forgot who there was an example i i it was it was luca luca Doncic, and I remember the converse, I I think it was in a Reddit thread, and I think the Reddit thread was noting how, you know, once he gets off that uh, college student diet and dedicates himself to a professional diet, there's going to be a change in, you know, general stamina and stuff of that nature, so I'm not even... (laughs) I'm not even entirely sure how I got on this point, but this is sort of the train that we're going on and I'm not really in the, I'm not really of the, I don't have the appropriate energy levels to re-record all of what I'm saying in terms of me, you know, just having a straight train in terms of how where this is going. So that's just sort of where I'm at. Um, there was a point that I wanted to make though in terms of sort of a a couple disclaimers in terms of the baseball podcast going forward uh the biggest one is it sort of begins with a gripe not necessarily a gripe but I think it's an an area of improvement in a sense on you know on two and it goes to two sides of of this of the coin if I'm even using that phrase correctly in one hand you know I thought by now (laughs) as uh because it's currently you know as i said it's april 5th and as as many of you may know i also do the basketball podcast and i kind of expected at this point that the basketball cycle or the basketball news cycle would be done just to put it bluntly i thought that you know, especially after the Mark Fox uh, press conference this past Monday, that there wouldn't be much basketball to talk about, but that is not the case. Um, not to delve too much into the weeds of the basket of basketball, but uh, Justice suing transferred, or not even transfer. He announced his intent to transfer. In addition to Darius McNeil, and then Roman Davis announced his intent to transfer as well. And this is just kind of. It's it's made it to to where there's there's still an abundance of things to talk about. This, this those transferings open up a whole new can of worms in regards to what next season may entail, and that's something that me and Rory are gonna go in depth to uh, on the next podcast, the next basketball podcast. So be sure to stay tuned for that. But the reason that I bring that up is I do want to acknowledge that. You know, when I was covering basketball this past season, I sort of took it as a point of pride that, you know, whether it be particularly around the office, the Daily Cal office, people it got to a point because of how intensely I was covering the team that people kind of knew me as, you know, that person that covers basketball. And I, I definitely did take that as a point of pride. You know, when people had a question related to basketball, you know, it was either me or Rory who they came to, and then that would just spark an entire new discussion, but I haven't felt that same sense of pride when it comes to baseball, and, you know, there definitely was that. It was about, I want to say, a month where, you know, baseball and basketball sort of interplayed with one another, and, you know, it, it, basketball's at the tail end of the season, and I believe if I'm just looking at the date of when the season started, I believe it started on February 15th. I'm trying to remember. I believe Cal basketball, I think they were still in the midst of their 16-game losing or what would become their 16-game losing streak if they didn't snap it already. I'm not entirely sure what day they actually snapped it just off the top of my head. But as the tail end of the season started approaching, I dedicated a lot of energy to covering the end of the season, especially because of all the... Rumors circulating that this might be Viking Jones uh, last season as head coach, and that's exactly what ended up happening. And then, you know, with the subsequent firing of Viking Jones, the hiring of Mark Fox, the McNeil transfer in addition to the suing, and Roman Davis, it's gotten to the point where I haven't really stopped covering basketball and I haven't been able to fully flip that switch off yet. I'm not entirely sure when that switch will be. If not flipped off, sort of turned in, you know, throw the car in neutral or cruise control in the sense. I do have some some pieces that I want to work on in regards to basketball. Still, you know, what the team may look like without Suing and McNeil and Davis, and you know, what a team that revolves around Matt Bradley and Jacoby Gordon, uh, Connor Vanover may look like. You know, that's a whole other topic for another day, and I guess we'll, I guess save that for uh, the basketball podcast. But that's just so to say that I just, from a personal standpoint, I do want to be dedicating a a little more attention to a baseball. I I don't feel that same sense of pride in terms of like the expertise that I do with basketball. And I I feel like it's kind of a paradox because for me, you know, baseball was the thing that I followed and I still follow very like somewhat religiously. Uh, And I've followed him my whole life. That was my first love, as I mentioned on the previous baseball podcast. But I guess this gets into the next point that I wanted to bring up was I feel as if, you know, with 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 basketball, for example, I felt at least as if if I wasn't able to watch a game, I could still rely on some semblance of highlights. And I can't exactly say the same thing About baseball. Now, you know it. It does so at least in terms of the games that are here, that are in Berkeley. In terms of those games, I feel as if if there's an opportunity for me to go watch those games, I should. But, you know, there are going to be games that I simply am not going to be able to watch, especially considering. As I mentioned previously, the internship that I am currently working, most of the days that I work happen to fall on the weekends, and that's the same day of the baseball games, and that's that's not a problem, but that's not something that I had to deal with uh, last semester because you know basketball games did fall on Saturdays, and you know I was I had yet to start the internship, so I was able to you know, dedicate my Saturdays, and, you know, if need be, Sundays, but now it's gotten to a point where I'm working Saturdays and Sundays, so, the thing that I wanted to bring up in terms of that is, I, you know, I kind of, I'm not entirely sure what the, what the bureaucracy is in regards to the Pac-12, in regards to baseball, or rather, not baseball, but, you know, highlights in general, but, I kind of wish, not even kind of. I just wish that and this isn't even a Pac12 thing. Either. This can apply universally. That there was a way for there to just be this enormous database of games that you can watch on command that just happened. I'm not I'm not even talking classic games. I'm just talking the regular run of the mill Games that happened on Thursday, games that happened on a Tuesday, Saturday, a two-one Saturday night game. Those are games that I still wish, if not in full, would at least have you know a respectable highlight rundown, maybe three minutes, four minutes, and you know I'm not entirely sure what the state of re- uh you know the resources are at the Pac-12. Uh, i i do i am cognizant of th- there are a limited number of people who can work on a limited number of things at a certain uh, there's only certain there's only a limited hour of number of hours in a day and i guess i'm I'm even evidence of that right now as you know i'm I'm cutting into my sleep to uh, record this right now and get it out on time but you know I do wish that there was a way for me to be able to because you know I, I think you know box scores can only tell so much of what actually happened in the game and I guess I can the, the two games that I'm going to commentate on or later in this podcast will be evidence of that. But I think considering the the amount of resources the Pac-12 has I do wish that you know this is and this is something we talked about in in terms of basketball too. Particularly, I remember when me and Roy were talking about that weird uh, possession in the Washington State game. And not the first, or not the second one, the first one. When Cal got blown out by 23 points, and, you know, Dewan Harris-Dyson appeared to be doing, like, the Naruto run. Roman Davis and Paris Austin were, like, in the corner for some reason. If those highlights go back five seconds, you know, that would be huge in terms of us understanding what would happen. And you know, the, the point I'm trying to get to with all this, I guess, just to wrap this up and move on to actual baseball, um, I would just appreciate just highlights in general. And I think it's also a great way to advertise your players. I know that in baseball, not even just college baseball, but in, in the majors, you know, the biggest thing is advertising your players, getting them out there. And I think that you know, if you if the Pac-12 was able to figure out a way to consistently run highlights on its guys, especially because you do have a potential top five pick in Andrew Vaughn, you know, among other potential players in your conference, I think if you were able to consistently get out highlights and promote them on a daily, if rather weekly basis, I think that would do wonders for the conference as a whole. And it also just may, you know, it would just be easier not in a sense just for me to not not me in particular i'm not saying this should cater entirely to me but i think it would be it would be a lot better in tor- in terms of fans being able to put a face to a name and do a lot more instead of you know just surfing box scores because you know there's there's a lot more like while baseball is it's a little more cut and dry than basketball in terms of what can possibly happen in terms of there's not as much room for creativity there is a certain there are there are definitely elements of it which you know there's there's a classic expression you know what gets lost in the box what's not in the box score or doing the little things that don't show up in the box score even even the game by the game summaries themselves there are certain things that aren't going to be able to show up there you know tiny little mannerisms and yeah, I guess, you know, I think I've I've been kind of, yeah, I've, I've actually been rambling for like 20 minutes here. And I guess that's, that's the, that's sort of the territory that comes with delusional hours. But I don't know, I guess that was my little soliloquy, I guess. Uh, that's probably going to be the last time I have something as close to a personal anecdote as that. But let me just, let's, let me just transition to, <laughs> to talking about baseball, at least as much as I can. And I think just, Based on the things that I've said over the past couple minutes, you can sort of ascertain as to, you know, the direction I want to go versus the direction where I'm going to be at in this podcast in particular. So as I like to start off the basketball podcast, I guess I'll start this one off just with a general uh, summary of what has happened since the last one. Now, the last one that we recorded was about uh, eight games ago, and that was right before the USC series. It was right after the USC series, rather. So there's been eight games since then, and Cal is currently 14-11 and 11 on the season. And the eight games that have gone down was a midweek game against San Francisco, a midweek game against Sacramento State, and then two series, one against Oregon State, and one against Long Beach State. Now, the San Francisco game, that was a 10-7 to win at Berkeley, Andrew Vaughn. Speaking of highlights, what in one of the instances that they that there was an applicable highlight, you know Vaughn, you know destroys uh, like a hanging breaking ball hits it over that building beyond left, hits it on top of the building beyond left field. Uh, the Oregon State series, Cal drops it two to one. The first game they win three to two, second Second game they lose two to three. In the final game of that series, they lose five to ten. Uh, the Sacramento State game, they lose six to nothing. That's one of the games that I'm going to be getting into in particular. Uh, I was actually able to make that trip up Sacramento State, and I'll go into that in a little more detail. Uh, the Long Beach State game, it was a seven to one. They they swept Long Beach State actually seven to one in the first game, ten to five in the second game, and thirteen to five in the final game to complete uh, the sweep. It, and just a uh, a couple of numbers that I wanted to go into because as you'll notice, as I was sort of rattling off those, uh, scores, one thing that's kind of prominent is just, you know, how the offense was, how the offense performed, particularly in that long beach state series. And, you know, as you're sort of looking through, you know, the final numbers of these past eight games, you you sort of get a theme that, or you sort of get the idea that, the offense is really starting to uh, pick up in a sense and there's there's a couple names that i just want to highlight here you know cameron eden ever since he's stepped into that leadoff position he's really emerged as arguably cal's second best hitter he's a dual threat in terms of power and speed and you know he does everything that you want in a leadoff hitter he's not exactly going to be the type to draw a large amount of walks but you know just that comp just his pure speed in decision to have that additional pop, he's been just perfect for that leadoff spot, in a sense. Over the ca- of the past eight games, on um, those eight games that I listed, uh, Eden is hitting 461. He had four stolen bases. He scored 10 runs, had a pair of homers, and he also had a pair of doubles. Now, hitting in that number two spot, as as we all know, Andrew Vaughn, you know, the reigning golden spikes player of the year but you know even by his standards he's definitely been in a little bit of a slump over those past eight games that i just listed he's only batting 250 i believe it's brought his batting average down to 360 on the season he did have a pair of home runs including the aforementioned one uh, against san francisco that he just absolutely launched and he also had one against long beach state but in, in even by his standards or even by a normal player's standards or just any first-teamer. That's definitely a slump, and there was, there was a play, or not even a play, there was a it was just a swing during the a Sacramento State game that I'll, I'll get into in a second. But, you know, I just wanted to throw out, you know, sort of where Andrew Vaughn has been over the past eight games. You know, he's definitely still drawing a lot of walks, just his very presence up there is enough to scare off a pitcher from wanting to throw to him. But... You you definitely, you know, over these eight games, there's definitely a different vibe that uh, of him when he comes up to the plate. That really wasn't, it wasn't there all of last year, in a sense, and it's definitely a weird feeling because when you see Vaughn come up to the plate, there's automatically there's that sort of that fear that's instilled in the opposing pitching staff. And I remember uh, one of the uh, play-by-play announcers. Uh, for Cal baseball I'm forgetting his name but I was actually I had the privilege of sitting next to him in the press box I'll be sure to get his name for the next podcast but he actually called him Roy Hobbs and for those of you baseball movie aficionados uh, the natural 1984 Roy Hobbs the protagonist of that movie with the bat uh actually I, I know that uh uh Joey one of the Uh, other baseball writers is actually writing the feature on Vaughn and I'm gonna have to ask him if if Vaughn or I'm gonna have to ask him to ask Vaughn if uh, if Vaughn calls his bat Boy. (laughs) but yeah it's it's sort of been perplexing in a sense for Vaughn to enter as a bat of a stretch as he has and you figure if you know if Vaughn's hitting 250 he is the core of this offense if he's not really hitting all that well that does really bode well for the rest of the offense in terms of, you know, being able to string together runs instead of just individual production. But what Vaughn has not had, Corey Lee has made up, and I think it's safe to say that Corey Lee is coming off of the series of his life. Now, he did get the he uh, he did not play in the uh, the game against San Francisco State. He was a, a DNP, but over the past seven games Corley has been tearing the absolute cover off the ball in a way that I think it's even shocking I would I think it's even shocking to him just how hot he's been over the past seven games uh, he's over in starting from the first game of the Oregon State Series extending all the way to the long Beach State Series he's hitting 500 I believe he's 12 for 24 with a 1,000... Uh, I'm always confused how to say this. A one, a one one twenty five slugging percentage. You know, it's kind of great when you start getting into the thousands of the slugging percentage. That's how you know he's absolutely ripping the cover off the ball. And most of the damage that he did was during the Long Beach State series. Now, I think I just have to list off the the numbers of the Long Beach State series in particular, because. Yeah. If you follow me on Twitter you or if I just talk with you in like in over text message you you know my thing is I I don't I don't say, you know, Jesus Christ or oh my god, I say Jesus. And Jesus cuz this man was he had I don't know if a, you know if a baseball did something to his to him in a in a past life if the Long Beach State pitching staff did something to him in a past life, you know, I'm not entirely sure what prompted Lee to just go off, but here are the numbers. He was six for 11. So already he's batting better than 500. He had 10 RBIs in a three game series, including six in the final game of the series. And he had four home runs, two in the first game of the series. And if I'm if memory serves correct, uh, one of those home runs was left field, and one of them was uh, to right field. That currently brings Lee's total on the season of home runs up to six with, you know, the rest of April, the rest of May. And he's hit five home runs in his career, and it's I think it's it's definitely unprecedented territory that he's entering in terms of him being able to hit at this level. I'm not I'm very certain that it's not sustainable over a long period of time, and you do have to acknowledge that the Long Beach State team that they played, I believe they were three and twenty-two heading into that week, and so that would make them three and twenty-five on the season if memory serves correct. But even if you're facing sort, even if you know you're going to face a relatively weak pitching staff, to go on. A run of that nature is just ridiculous it's it's straight up ridiculous and you know one of my concerns heading into this season uh was definitely the depth of the offense uh, you know the the names are kind of slipping me at this point in time just because uh, of how late it is but Cal did lose a fairly significant chunk of Uh, of last year's lineup you know a couple players got drafted and it did bring into question who was going to be the protection for Vaughn because Vaughn was sort of uh, the metaphorical son that the offense rotated around and if you didn't have protection for Vaughn all you could do is or all opposing pitching staffs would have to do in terms of you know having to handle this Cal offense is you know Offer up a free base or pitch around Vaughn, don't really give him much to hit and let everyone behind him sort of deal with that. And, you know, while I I don't expect, you know, I don't think anybody should expect Lee to continue to hit at this pace for the rest of the season, what Lee has done this season is provide that backup. And what... What Eden has done as well is made it to the point where, you know, you can't, you know, you're sandwiching Vaughn in between these two excellent hitters, two hitters who, you know, if they hold pace for the rest of the season, can potentially earn themselves a first team nomination. And that uh, that depth that I was concerned about heading into the season, that problem is is definitely getting resolved in a sense. Not it's not completely resolved. There are still you know, and you do have to take the Long Beach State series with a grain of salt, just, be, just considering the fact that they are 3-25 and in this season. Even though they have, you know, it is worth noting that Long Beach State has been playing some rather tough competition uh, heading into that series. But, you know, 3-25 and is 3-25. and There's not really much to say in terms of that arena, you know. But, yeah, it's just... It's incredible it was an incredible display of offense and you know on sunday six rbis and in a one homer and then a double as well and i remember on sunday i was actually uh, to, to um to bring the point back again like i was at work when so i was just kind of you know whenever i had a free time free five minutes i was checking the cal baseball twitter i was checking the box scores and it was just just to see the RBIs just continue to go up and up and up, it was kind of a mind blow moment. Just to, you know, see someone not name Andrew Vaughn produce offense of that caliber, and someone else that I think is also worth noting, in, just in terms of offenses, Max Flower. Because yeah, you can have Lee behind Vaughn, but then now you have a a legitimate one, two, three, four punch that. If holds up, just makes the process of having to deal with this Cal offense all the more harder. And you'd also have to be under the assumption that Vaughn isn't going to, you know, slump this tough over uh, the entirety of the season. So if you were, if you're able to get consistent production out of Corey Lee, if you're able to get this conti- con- continuous production out of Max Flower then you also got to consider some of, you know, Quentin Selma as well. He's been, even though he hasn't, I guess he technically doesn't qualify in terms of the batting average title because of how many games he has and has not played, but he's coming into his own as well. Darren Baker is starting to come, you know, he's starting to really heat up. I think the Cal offense is, you know, that's sort of been, I guess, the calling card. Of this team, it, you know, it's the offense, not exactly the pitching. So, so we're not really entering any, we're not necessarily entering territory here. But I think it's, you know, just considering how the dynamic is different, how this is an incredibly young team, a seniorless team. I think it's definitely something that's worth monitoring, and you know, we definitely are going to monitor it. But just how this offense, and particularly how its pieces, continue to grow and develop as uh, the season progresses. But I guess while we are on the subject of offense, I think it is worth noting uh, the Sacramento State game. And, you know, I would say w- w- one of the goal is goals is, and w- one of the directions that I want to take this podcast in, in, ter- in at least in terms of the baseball, well, not even in terms of the baseball one, in terms of the basketball one too, is is that with each episode – sort of the goal is to cover as few games as possible in one podcast and what i mean by that is you know cover a cover a weekend series and that be it instead of as i'm doing right now covering you know san francisco and then three oregon state games and sacramento state and three long beach state games i think that makes for not as cohesive of a conversation you know just personal preference my like my personal preference is I'd rather talk a lot about one game than talk very minimally about three games and in this case seven games but and so I guess this conversation that you're about to hear is going to be more uh, more the direction that I want uh, this you know the next couple episodes to head in but so the Sacramento State game I, I drove up to Sacramento this was the the first game that I was able to see live, I'd been able to catch glimpses of games on television whenever uh, possible. First game I was able to see live of this season, and as as I was, you know, doing just preparations for the game, looking things over, I overheard one of the the play by play announcers for Sacramento State's, uh, I guess I think their radio. I I overheard him talking about how Sacramento State had a really good rotation. You can expect this to be a very low scoring game, especially considering that while Sacramento State does have a very solid rotation, they don't really bring the same amount of, you know, firepower on uh, the offensive end. And they did and Sacramento State definitely did not disappoint in that regard. You know, it takes a lot for this Cal offense regardless you know I just spoke ever so glowingly of the offense as a whole but it takes a lot to shut down an offense of this caliber and especially takes a lot to shut down someone of Andrew Vaughn's caliber and Sacramento State's pitching staff definitely rose to the occasion they were not frightened by the moment it did help that they had home field advantage it did help that you know they had, you know, this is a side note, but Sacramento State, it was the environment of being there. I didn't, I had absolutely zero expectations, but it was just a, in terms of covering it, it was a fantastic environment. They have a parking structure beyond the left field wall, and they were sort of counting up the K's as the for the strikeouts as they went. There was, they had this chant where. There was a group of people that was that was actually behind me who would chant, "Oh yeah!" after every strikeout. And uh, I don't know if this is a Sacramento State specific thing, but I heard a couple of sports cars doing burnouts in both the parking lot that triggered uh, the f- the alarms to go off, as well as just some general ones on the street. So it was definitely a very it's a very fun environment to be in. But in the in the Sacramento State game in particular, zero runs. Uh, four hits, all of them being singles. I'm not... I believe if... I think there was three walks. Uh, I was actually... I actually wrote the recap for this game, and I was looking through some of the stats for the season just to contextualize how bad of an offensive performance this was. And I didn't end up looking through every single game of the Mike New era, but as far as I'm... as as, as At least as far as I know, this was the first game this season where cal didn't have a single extra base hit and i know that that also happened in the very first game of mike new's uh, coaching tenure and you know i was looking to see if this was the first time it happened in his coaching tenure in general so when i saw that happen the first game of the season i stopped looking but i can't imagine that you know considering some of the bats that cal that cal has both now and had last season i can't imagine it's happened uh, super frequently And I was alluding to Andrew Vaughn. You know, I've I've alluded to him a couple times, and I've alluded to a particular swing. Uh, In this game in particular, you know, no one really had a fantastic offensive game. Darren Baker went one for three, and I think he drew a walk. I believe Corey... Yeah, Corey Lee, he was over two, but he also drew two walks. They were the only two uh, to reach base multiple times. I know that Cameron Eden also had a single, and he stole a base as well. And if I also remember, the one... In the one at bat that Vaughn uh, didn't strike out, I believe he took a pitch to the warning track, and if not to the warning track, somewhere close to it. Definitely just got a little under it. But it was def it was one of the one of the few times that I've seen Vaughn not look like him himself, for lack of a better term. And there and the epitome of this was there was one at bat in. It was either his last at bat or it was his second to last at bat. I'm, I, th- I think the pitcher was. I know his last name was chirby I'm not, I'm forgetting the first name. Either his first name or his last name was chirby On Sacramento State, but this pitcher throws Vaughn a curveball. Not not a metaphorical curveball, just a literal curveball. And Vaughn had, without exaggeration, one of the, the ugliest swings that I've ever seen him take and probably one of the swings that he's ever taken in his career. And I think he can attest to that. It was one of those swings where you essentially give up halfway through it. It was one of those swings where as he took it and as his bat crossed the plane, as his bat began to cross home plate, all of the energy of his swing just instantly died. And it, it was almost as if you could see just, you know, the regret in taking that swing happening in real time. And it was definitely, it, it was strange to see Vaughn in, in that light, in a sense to, you know, there was finally that moment of, of kryptonite in a sense. And I think just if, the reigning college baseball MVP is reduced to a swing of that nature, and I guess this is the part. This is, I guess, this kind of goes into my thesis from you know maybe like 20 minutes ago of having these highlights readily available. I think, well, I, I guess if you're the Pac-12 in this sense, you really wouldn't want that to be released and that would be the one image that uh, people know you're shining prospect of. But that's definitely one of the moments where if you were if you were to see that in person. And it's definitely that alien test. If an, if an alien came down from a different planet and was to watch a baseball game or a basketball game and ask the question of who was the best player on the on the floor, or on the diamond, if an alien was to see that swing, they would have absolutely no idea of just how good of a hitter Vaughn is because just, that's just how bad of a swing it was. And I wish, I wish I had some type of video to to capture it. I do not, but it was definitely a strange and not even in terms of that, you know, Sacramento State they did have the 6 runs and the 8 hits. And you see a game where you have 6 runs and 8 hits and you're assuming okay, maybe there's, you know, they Sacramento State strings together a couple rallies, a couple extra base hits in a row, maybe a couple singles that are strung together, maybe, you know, ground attack, stuff of that nature, but the thing about the Sacramento State game I keep calling it the Sacramento State game. But what made this game so perplexing for me was Sacramento State's bats were incredibly quiet the whole game. There was only, you know, six runs, eight hits, but there was only one extra base hit, and that one extra base hit was a solo homer. So you have five runs to account for and seven hits to account. You have, Seven singles to account for five runs. And, you know, that's kind of... it. You know, you can induce five runs from seven singles, but if that's going to happen, they're going to... It's a little more difficult to... It's difficult, in a word. Just because, you know, you're going to have to rely on guys going from first to third, maybe from second to home. You're going to have to rely on... You know the speed of your runners, and you're gonna have to hope that you guys have, you know, fantastic base running instincts. But what really propelled Sacramento State to get those five other runs was the walks and was the lack of strikes. the The first two pitchers that Cal rolled out were Mitchell Scott and Lucas Gaither. They faced ten batters apiece. and they combined to throw uh, ninety three pitches, and if I'm remembering the figure right, of the ninety-three pitches they threw, I believe fifty were balls. Scott walks four, Gaither walks three. They both allowed two earn runs apiece. Uh it was not a pretty game for either of them by any stretch of the imagination. And those walks are what really propelled Sacramento State. Uh, one of the so um scott actually walked in you know both of the runs that he allowed he actually walked them in and in regard to gaither uh the bat one of the batters that he walked would score in a single one of the batters that he walked would score in a sacrifice bunt and then in addition you know you have it's just the general fact of pitching you have to be able to throw strikes but then there's also the there was also just some weird plays kind of sprinkled into the game as, as well. There was there was this one play, I forgot who was batting, but there was a foul pop fly right behind home plate. And a uh, Colt Elvis was the catcher. Sacramento State has a fairly big uh, foul territory behind home plate. Balls hit right behind home plate, plenty of room he can't see it anywhere uh i'm not entirely sure if there was a miscommunication between him and the pitcher or him and any of the infielders in regards to trying to find where that ball was but it falls and then you know it's that whole second life thing next pitch i believe the batter gets a single and there was also this other play where you know i think darren someone I keep saying someone that's how you can tell that I'm really starting to lose the energy here but we're getting to the end anyhow so there's a better in Sacramento State who hits a ball towards right field Darren Baker stops stops it on a dive and there's a runner that's coming home and a good throw gets this runner by a mile but Darren he kind of skids it as you would like a, a rock on a lake and it takes like five hops it's a very i'll just be blunt it was a horrible throw by any standard of you know a throw from very shallow right field to home even a one hopper or two hopper probably gets the runner but it was just a very strange game all around You know, when I asked uh, New after the game, just his general thoughts, there wasn't really much to the offer in terms of positives. You know, he did offer that there, you know, the pitchers did. When they were throwing strikes, they did pitch well. As I mentioned, there was only one uh, extra base hit that entire game. But in terms of them being able to consistently uh, throw strikes, particularly Gaither and Scott, it was definitely just a a rough outing. And I guess so that's sort of... With that general description of the Sacramento State game, that's where, you know, being able to go in-depth into these games, that's sort of the direction I want to head into these baseball podcasts. I'm not entirely sure if I'm going to be able to consistently, you know, go into as much depth as I want to on these just because of, you know, the limitations of my scheduling. I guess maybe that'll be something that I communicate with with the other baseball writers. Maybe we we set up this system where whoever's watching a game, they'll be the one to go in-depth in depth and. You know, this is I I guess the one title that I sort of have in regards to this is a sophomore slump. And I think that that's sort of where uh, where I'm at, at least personally, you know, I definitely want to, you know, I want to hold myself to a high standard with these podcasts. I am still, you know, as I go along, I'm still getting, you know, refining my skill, my ability to talk, you know, even by myself for what it's been 46 minutes. And I think that's kind of impressive in and of itself to just be able to talk for, you know, 46, 47 minutes consecutively. But, you know, in pr- in terms of preparation, in terms of being able to break things down, in terms of being able to lead a conversation, you know, those are areas that I still want to be, you know, just to improve. You know, especially when this is the field that I want to pursue in the future. I definitely want to be able to hone this craft and, you know, being able to have more thorough conversations in regards to baseball and being able to have that expertise in regards to baseball is definitely going to be a part of that journey. So hopefully by the time, so the next podcast you know, I, I'm trying to figure out a way that we can get all four of us. I think that would be my ideal setting just because it would be easier for me to play that role of facilitator. And for all of us to get engaged in and in on the conversation, we are half, we are constrained by technology and you know general budgeting. I do plan to invest in a second microphone. I think that's the goal, just to be able to get all of us uh communicating at the same time instead of having this cycle where one of us comes in and you know it's just a one-on-one conversation instead of, you know, all four of us. I think that's ideally the goal. If I can get that done by the next one, you know I'm gonna put that pressure on myself. If I can get that done by the next one, that's gonna be the goal. But I guess until until next time, I guess. It's currently 2.16. Right after I finish this, I'm throwing on the intro music and then I'm going to sleep. Hopefully opening day doesn't get rained out, but if it does, I don't know what I'm going to do with my day, I guess. I guess I'm going to go to class, maybe. <laughs> um, I'm definitely going to try to make it out to every Washington State game that I can this weekend. I believe that I might have to miss one of the games because of work, but... I guess the goal by next week, this is sort of, I guess we can consider this a transition podcast in a sense. I guess the goal by next week, just have to, you know, not have to deal with seven games, deal with three instead, being like, having the ability to go more in depth into them, you know, having some of the writers on here. And, you know, t- to, to use an athletism, you know, got to take it day by day, I guess, podcast by podcast, get better, improve, <laughs> refine the craft. And it's also because, I, you know, whoever is taking the time out to listen, I do want it to be, you know, worth your time, in a sense. Uh, <laughs> we're about to hit the 50-minute mark. If I don't stop talking, I think Alexandria is about to kill me. <laughs> but this has been episode number two or episode number 20 or, I don't know, episode, I don't know. Let's, <laughs> I don't know. It's episode Delusion, <laughs> we'll call it that. But that's been another episode of the One Golden Moment Podcast.